So we're going to dive right into Acts chapter 23. I'm going to kind of sum up where we've been so far and uh, bring you up to speed where we are. In case you haven't been here before, you haven't tuned in to a live stream or haven't tuned into a sermon in maybe a, a some time or you, it's your first time checking out our live stream, I want to kind of catch you up where we are. We are in the middle of a series, uh, actually closer to the end of a series, called Unleashed. And this series is all about the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is a history book in the New Testament written by a man named Luke. Luke was a physician by trade, a historian, and Luke recorded the story of the early church, the first century church. And what we're doing is we are learning first century principles of how to live as Christians and how to do church uh, in the 21st century based on those first century principles. So we've been going through this series now for 23 weeks. We started all the way back in the month of May uh, when we were still quarantined, when we were doing all virtual services. Uh, and then we've been going through it all summer long and now into the fall. And so we're in Acts chapter 23 this week. Uh, we've got five chapters to go. It goes up through chapter 28. We're going to finish right before Thanksgiving, and then we're going to do a, uh, a couple things, and then we're going to get into Christmas. Our theme for Christmas this year, I believe, is going to be simple Christmas, uh, and so we're going to see how we can take the hustle and the bustle out of Christmas, and we can just get back to the basics and make it really, really simple. And then going into 2021, when everything is going to be better, right? Right? Well, hopefully everything's going to be better in 2021. We're going to spend an entire year in the Old Testament, and we're going to get back uh, to the Bible Jesus read. We're going to get back to Jesus's Bible, which is the Old Testament, and we're going to talk about a bunch of different things throughout the Old Testament, some of uh, the best stories of the Old Testament, some Psalms, uh, some emotions that Old Testament prophets had and Old Testament characters had. It's going to be a, a fascinating study through the Old Testament in 2021. But before we do that, we got to get through the book of Acts. And so Acts chapter 23 uh, begins with the Apostle Paul before the Sanhedrin. Let's talk a little bit about how he got there. So last week in Acts chapter 22, we saw that Paul uh, had been accosted in, the, uh, in Jerusalem in the temple and they were threatening to tear him apart. Uh, they were beating him to death. And so the commander of the Roman army came and rescued Paul, took him into the barracks, and then Paul wanted to address the crowd. And so Paul, in Acts chapter 22, addresses the crowd uh, and talks about his journey of faith, how he came to faith in Christ. He reiterated his tale of how he became a follower of Jesus, that he was on the road to Damascus, a bright light shone and blinded him. And then uh, a man named Ananias healed him of his blindness and told him to get up and be baptized, call in the name of the Lord. And Paul was baptized uh, and uh, became a follower of Jesus. Uh, and then uh, the, uh, when he talked about going to the Gentiles, the crowd that he was speaking to lost their minds. And uh, they started to, uh, they were going to attack Paul. Uh, the commander was worried about him. So uh, he uh, pulled Paul back uh, to rescue him. He was about to 
flog Paul and interrogate him uh, until Paul said, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And Roman citizens had rights to a fair trial, and Paul had not had a fair trial, and he was being punished without a trial. So uh, when the commander finds out that Paul's a Roman citizen, uh, he decides to find out exactly what is going on. So he's going to call uh, together the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council of Israel, of Israel, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and the chief priests and the high priest. And they were going to, uh, the Roman commander was going to get to the bottom of what was going on between Paul and the Jews. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 23. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one on your phone, unless you're watching this on your phone, that would make it kind of weird. But uh, if you are watching it on a TV or a tablet, you can use a, a, a Bible app on your phone like Uversion or Bible Gateway, or even better, you can use the GFCC app. Uh, which again is available by going to your app store and searching for GFCC. You can download the app. You can follow along with sermon notes. You can give your tithes and offer offerings. You can check out our weekly bulletin as well as you can get push notifications about all the things going on around here at GFCC. So again, we're in Acts chapter 23. We're going to look at this uh, together uh, and we're going to begin with verse one. So this is Paul before the Sanhedrin, it's the Jewish ruling council of Israel, and this is what he says. It says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. And so he says, I've done everything that God has asked me to do all the way up till today. Well, then the high priest ordered uh, one of the people standing near Paul to punch him in the mouth. Paul said to him in verse 3, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. The people there with Paul say, how dare you? How dare you insult the high priest? How dare you speak against him? Verse 5, Paul replied, replied brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And Paul was quoting the Old Testament. He was quoting the book of Exodus when Moses gave the law to the people. And in Exodus chapter 22, 28, it says this, do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. And so Paul not only knew his Bible, not only did he know the word of God, but he also did not abandon his Jewish heritage, which he had been, uh, which people had claimed he had done. But he did not uh, abandon his Jewish heritage, and he did know his Bible. And so he quotes scripture and realizes the error of his ways. Keep going. Verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the resurrection of the dead. Now there's a couple things you have to know about Sadducees and Pharisees. First of all, they did not get along very well. Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in spirits. Um, they were scribes. Uh, they were experts in the law. And then you had the Pharisees. These were the holy Joes of their day. Uh, they were devoted to the law. Many of them were considered lawyers or experts in the law, uh, but they 
interpreted it differently than the Sadducees. And so they were often butting heads. They were often uh, not getting along. And so uh, there were Pharisees on the Sanhedrin. There were Sadducees on the Sanhedrin. And they, uh, Paul uses a classic uh, diversionary tactic uh, uh, called divide and conquer. So Paul, knowing that the Sadducees and the Pharisees don't see eye to eye on resurrection of the dead or spirits or angels, says, I'm going to... I'm going to get these guys fighting against themselves instead of fighting against me. And so he says, I'm on trial because of the resurrection of the dead. And that's when the Pharisees turn to the Sadducees and start fighting with them about these issues that go back thousands of years about the resurrection of the dead. And uh, the Pharisees say, well, what if, a, what if a spirit or an angel told Paul what he's saying? And, and they recall the fact that Paul is a Pharisee, and so he's on our side. And, and who are we to question him? Maybe we should let him go. And the Sadducees are like, no way. So they're fighting against one another. And it gets so bad that the commander of the army um, goes ahead and uh, says, um, I got to get Paul out of here because they, they were afraid that the Sadducees and the Pharisees were going to tear Paul to pieces. So he goes and grabs Paul and takes him back into the barracks. Okay. But look at verse 11 and we're going to focus on this a little bit later, but look at verse 11 it says the following night, the Lord, that's Jesus stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. And Jesus comes alongside and just comforts Paul, reassures him, encourages him. This, the Lord Jesus came and appeared to Paul right then and said, take courage. I've got you. I will be with you. I am for you. And I love you. And you are going to make it all the way to Rome where you will testify about me. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. Well, turns out not everybody's happy about this development. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. So 40 Jewish men, more than 40 Jewish men get together and they hatch a plan that they are going to kill Paul. And they swear an oath to God that they will not eat or drink. They're going to completely fast until they kill Paul. You know, it, it, this perplexes me. These men swear an oath to God that they are not going to eat or drink until they break one of God's commandments, which is thou shalt not kill. That doesn't make any sense. How crazy is that? They're so incensed. They're so angry. They're so frustrated uh, that they are, they're just filled with murderous rage that they are going to kill Paul and they won't eat or drink. They swear an oath to God that they're not going to eat or drink until they kill him. Well, uh, turns out, Paul uh, has a nephew who hears about this plot. So the Jews, the 40, more than 40 Jewish men who are going to kill Paul, uh, go and, and they, they inform uh, the Sanhedrin about this plot. Look at verse 16. It says, But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. 
Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. And he took him to the commander. So Paul's nephew comes to Uncle Paul and says, hey, Uncle Paul, uh, these 40 guys, these more than 40 guys have a plot. And they've sworn a note that they are going to kill you and they're not going to eat or drink until they do so. And Uncle Paul tells his nephew, uh, tells the centurion, take my nephew to the commander because he has something important to tell him. And so he goes and he informs the commander uh, about what is going to happen. And uh, the commander uh, tells the young man, okay, go, uh, but don't tell anyone that you have told me what's going to happen. He wanted to protect Paul's nephew. Verse 23. Then he, the Roman commander, called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment. Now check out these numbers. Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. So you have 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. I think that's right. Uh, but almost 500 soldiers to protect one guy. That's how crazy things have gotten in Paul's life. Almost 500 soldiers are going to guard him on his way to the city of Caesarea. Now think about it. You got soldiers and horsemen and spearmen. Oh my, almost 500 of them to protect this one guy. Well, let me show you a map so you can kind of see where we are uh, in this whole thing. Um, in the middle of your map, there's a little box. And around that box, it says Jerusalem. Under that box, it says Jerusalem. So that's the city of Jerusalem. You'll see an arrow pointing to the northwest. And that's going to the city of uh, Antipatris. Uh, Antipatris uh, was halfway between Jerusalem and Caesarea. Caesarea uh, Jerusalem was 20, uh, or, I'm sorry, Antipatris was 28 miles to the northwest west of Jerusalem. Caesarea was 27 miles to the northwest of Antipatris. So they stop in Antipatris uh, to rest, and then they're going to take the rest of the trip to Caesarea, where the governor of the, of the region lived. His name was Felix. So they're going to go from uh, Jerusalem to Antipatris. Antipatris was an ancient city. It was built by King Herod. Uh, you may remember that name from the birth narratives of Jesus uh, from the Gospels. Uh, Antipatris was built by King Herod and named after his father. Uh, so this is kind of a, it's a, a city in ruins now, but it was kind of an important city then. So they stop halfway and they, they stop there uh, and then they're going to go on the rest of the way uh, to Caesarea. The uh, uh, Roman commander wrote an, uh, a letter to Governor Felix and told him about the plot to kill Paul and says that he is sending Paul to him as well as uh, his accusers will be following him so that he can stand trial before Felix, the governor. Now, um, Felix, the governor, uh, this is going to take place uh, next week. We're going to talk about this trial before Felix um, uh, and with his accusers, with Paul's accusers. Um, but uh, with the commander sending this large contingency, you got to figure, you know, 
this is a, a serious thing, and the action is really starting to pick up. Uh, and again, Paul is going to make it all the way to Rome. Uh, while he's in, Ante, uh, in Caesarea, when they make it to Caesarea, uh, the governor, Felix, orders that Paul be kept in King Herod's palace. So he's under house arrest in King Herod's palace until his accusers get there, and uh, we can have this trial before Governor Felix. I'm telling you, this is some exciting stuff. I mean, Paul's life has turned into a whirlwind of activity, a whirlwind, if you will, uh, of, of all this action going on around Paul. He's one guy, and yet it takes 500 soldiers to guard him. He's one guy, and yet half of Jerusalem wants to kill him. This is uh, the, the, the passion with which Paul lived. Now, I told you a little bit ago, I want to focus on one verse from this chapter. It's, it's verse 11. It's Acts 23, 11. And it says this, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And those two words, take courage, I think are so important, especially in our world today. These words, we, we have so much fear in us here in the 21st century. We have so much fear in us here in 2020. We're afraid of illnesses and diseases like cancer and COVID. We're afraid financially, I might lose my retirement. I might lose my job. I, I, I might not have enough to make ends meet. I might lose my house. We have relationship fears. Some of you uh, have been cooped up with your family for five, six, seven, eight months, and you're starting to feel like everything is falling apart. We have lots of fear. We, we fear violence, whether it's in our homes or in our streets. There's a lot of fear in us here in 2020. I know for me personally, I have fear regarding our church. I mean, things were going along great. We were just rocking and rolling and uh, tripled in size in seven years. All these new people come with baptizing people. Things are going great. And then somebody sneezed and everything fell apart, feels like. We have so much fear in 2020. I want to focus on those two words. Take courage. There's three ways you can take courage. Three things that can give you courage in the face of fear. First is this, take courage, Jesus is with you. Take courage, Jesus is with you. God's word says that through Jesus, all things were created. He is the creator of everything, and he is with us. Jesus is God, and the Bible says over and over and over again, that God is with us. Jesus is with us. We can take courage because Jesus is with us. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take courage, my friends. Jesus is with you. No matter who else may leave you. Your spouse may threaten to leave you. Your kids may threaten to leave you. Uh, your friends may walk out on you and abandon you. Jesus will never, ever leave you. Jesus will never, 
ever abandon you. Jesus will never, ever forsake you. He will always be with you. In Matthew 28, he said, I am with you always until the end of the age. Until the very end of time, I will be with you. That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you believe in him, you turn away from sin and repentance, you acknowledge uh, your faith in him by confession and getting baptized. The Bible says that God not only forgives our sins, but the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And nothing can take his spirit away. That he is with you all the time. God is always with you. Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is always with you all the time. Take courage, Jesus is with you. Secondly, take courage, Jesus is for you. You can take courage because Jesus is for you. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 31, it says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus is for us. And that means nothing will prevail against us. No, no one and no thing can prevail against you. Because if God is for you, and he clearly is, then nothing can stand against you. Nothing will come against you that will prevail. Uh, you may uh, feel like the world is coming against you. You may feel like you're, you're, you have enemies who are coming against you. You may feel like situations and circumstances are coming against you. You may feel like all these things are coming against you. And, and the weight of it, the pressure of it is so intense that you don't know if you're going to make it. You don't know if you're going to survive. You don't know if you're going to how you're going to handle it. Remember this. No matter who comes against you, God is for you. And because God is for you, it means that God is not against you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. Uh, he's not out to get you. He's not out to punish you. He may discipline you. But his discipline is always corrective. It's never punitive. God is not out to punish you. He wants to correct your behavior so that you look more like Jesus. And so that you can live the very best life that he has intended for you to live. So God was not out to punish you, but he is out to correct you. And he's out to spend forever with you. God is not angry with you. Even for those sins you've committed over and over and over again, the times you've messed up over and over and over again, he's not mad at you. He's got no more wrath for you. A preacher by the name of Steve Brown said he poured it all out on Jesus on the cross. He's got no more wrath for you. And so, my friends, I want you to take courage because Jesus is for you. He's not against you. He's on your side. He's on team you. He is for you, not against you. Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. And finally, take courage. Jesus loves you. Maybe that's the most comforting thought of all. Jesus loves you you. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible. It tells me so. 
Jesus loves you. And nothing is going to ever stop him from loving you. You may mess up time and time and time again. You may make a mess of your life. You may screw things up so royally. And your family may say, we don't love you anymore. Your spouse may say, I'm not in love with you anymore. Your kids may say, I hate you. Your uh, coworkers may say, you are annoying as all get out. Mine say it all the time. But it doesn't matter who doesn't love you. Because Jesus does. You may feel afraid of being alone. Jesus is with you. You may feel like people are coming against you. Don't forget, Jesus is for you. And you may feel completely unloved and abandoned. But I'm here to tell you this. Jesus loves you. And that is why we can take courage in the face of fear, in the face of illness, in the face of disease, in the face of financial difficulties, in the face of loneliness, in the face of uh, anything that comes against us, in the face of fear, we can take courage because Jesus is with you, Jesus is for you, and Jesus loves you. And that is the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ.